Welcome to the podcast debut, Truth and Reconciliation, with Buki Shonoga. This program, inspired by the brutal murder of Judge Floyd, presents the African diaspora perspectives on the transatlantic slave trade and institutionalized racism in America. Today's topic, Raising a Colorblind Young Black Male in 21st Century America. My very first guest is my 19-year-old, Femi Shonoga Fleming. Femi, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, you and I have had so many conversations on race over the years. As you've gotten older, I had tried to make you understand racism. And it's been a battle. You've been really resistant to it over the years. But I continue to really bring several anecdotes, several incidents to your, to, to your attention so that you don't think that I am just making this up, meaning that I'm not making up the, the, the issue of race. And I understand that as an innocent young black man on this planet, you're just trying to be yourself, your, your kind soul and loving everyone loving the world but the realities of this country especially lately does not really allow me as a parent to allow me the luxury to just let you just live in this bubble world that there's no racism and uh i would like to start a conversation uh with um trevor martin before trevor martin we talked about the central park five remember that and then Trevor Martin happened. We had that conversation. And on and on and on. And now Judge Floyd. So 19 going on 20, you now know over the years that, you know, I'm sure you do, I don't hope. I'm sure you do know right by now that there is racism in this country. There is institutionalized racism in this country that, that just so it's just so ugly and, and so painful mm-hmm. and it still happens up up till today so and also let's start on this point where you and I have this heated debate on you having all white friends for the most part and I argue that your white friends will not come to your aid if you face a situation where you know you're being attacked or you're a victim of racism and you said your friends would not do that so what i would like to ask you and first of all i want to thank you you're my son fine but i want to thank you for you know agreeing to do the show with me to to, to you know launch this show with me um what is your understanding of racism and you know what, what's your take on this and you can go back to our conversation on trevor martin the central park five and your friends just 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 speak from the heart um well racism is is very broad my understanding of it is that it's when someone discriminates against you because of your background your ethnicity your color um the things you wear uh it can be as it can be as broad as just um discriminate against you because you're black or because you're this or that or it can be as narrow as um 
uh, oh, you like watermelon, you do this and that, so you fit this stereotype. And, um, of course, um, with things like that, that are uh, often referred to as like microaggressions, uh, it there's just a very um, broad spectrum of racism, and it floods America, and I don't know, I just feel like the, um, racism in general is a problem that we've had for eternity, and there's no one way to go about um, abolishing racism in total. It's always going to be there, but uh, especially now in 2020 after uh, George Floyd happened and um, everyone's stuck inside all of this hate and all of this um, everything that we've been through um, is just boiled up and I feel like this is really the time for change and change is starting to happen yeah, thank you. And I understand, you know, your your take on how racism could be really broad. And, and I totally understand that. But we can, we want to be, we want to just keep it, keep it real and really focus on the reality of racism and you being a black male in America. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that... You have come across to me so many times that you don't recognize. I know you recognize that you're black, and I know you recognize that you're a male, and you're an American, and you're also African. From your personal space, your personal perspective, what it is that do not make you feel racism? What is it? Why, why don't you recognize it? I mean, until I start to bring this to your attention, first I want to talk about how you define yourself. How do you define yourself? In in what terms? Like, what do you mean? Well, as as define yourself. As, I mean, I'm a nineteen year old black male in America, and um, that means I'm subject to racism by default, and. Um, of course, I've experienced it before, uh, maybe not knowing that I've experienced it, but I also don't... How have you experienced it? You never told me this. How well, How have you experienced racism? I haven't experienced it in, in um, more recent years, but uh, I guess as a child, like, just people, like telling me oh like you speak white or oh you're not you don't uh basically just telling me that i don't fit the stereotype of what a black person is which is part of the problem with racism because when you're growing up and you're in a system or you're in a school where most of the people around you are african-american and they all act a certain way because they all grow up the same and they're all in uh, this community together, they're expected to act a certain way, and growing up um, with you as an African mother, I uh, obviously I'm going to act a different way, and they assume that that way because it's it's more proper or it's more um, it's just different. They assume that I'm acting white 
so they're like oh why do you speak so white why do you speak like a white boy and um that assumption is racism and um i never really uh realized that until until now because um i always thought racism was just like uh well, as a child, I always thought racism was just like someone calling you the N-word or, 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 or other, other things that were more aggressive, but racism is broad. So now I know that that's racism and that's how I've experienced racism in the past. And even going to school now, that sort of stuff doesn't happen literally, but you can tell when someone is surprised by the way you act or surprised by the way you speak. And um, I go to an art school, so uh, my friend group and um, and the people I hang around are very diverse. But there is uh, the group of, of of black kids that do sit together and and, and do everything together. And um, because I'm not part of that group, they assume that I'm not in touch with with like what it is to be black or what it is to to um be a part of the black community and because i don't hang out with only black kids uh, they they assume that i'm not um i'm not taking an active role in being a part of the black community but i feel as though whatever interests i have and whatever um however i grew up uh influences the people that i talk to and hang around so it just so happens that I'm not um, conformed to that specific group, but that doesn't mean that I'm not black and that I don't have black culture in me and that I don't understand um, the topics that they speak about. It just means that I surround myself with people that have similar interests with me. It doesn't have to do with um, choosing to sit with the black people or choosing to sit with anyone you want. Yeah, and thank you so much. That's so eloquent. And that's what I was saying that in a colorblind, recently black male, <laughs> black male in a colorblind, no, recently colorblind black male in America today. And that's exactly what you just spoke to eloquently. The innocence that you have, and, and naturally so, and rightly so, that your culture, your interests, uh, sort of inform the people that you associate with. You don't pick your friends by color. And I understand and appreciate that. But unfortunately, the country that we live in keeps reminding us every day, from 400 years up to now, that all the talent that you're talking about, that you're blessed with, does not define you per se. You're not defined by the content of your character, as Martin Luther King had said. But more, they want to pigeon people into, pigeonhole people into their race that they constructed. So everything you just said, rightly so, but they don't necessarily say it that way, or they see it that way, but they rather say you're black, you know. Of course. And and my conversation with you over the years is that you need to understand that because you're living in this country, you're in America. As much as you have the right to, you know, pick your friends based on common interests, rather, you also need to recognize that. This, this country, this system sees you as a black man. So when you step out of that, your network, of, your immediate network of friends, and you're dealing in America, all these factors of racism would affect you. 
And he, you know, I and I, you know, for this battle for you to to get us where we are today. So I mean, of course, we'll come back. This is so broad. I'm just so grateful that you're here. I'm here. I'm starting with you. When we talked about Trevor Martin, we talked about the Central Park Five. You know, you and I have this debate all the time over the years because I really just want you to get it and don't don't think your mom is just this crazy racist person that just cooked up all these stories. When things are happening around us that are real in real time, that is a fact. That is, that that is so you know that sets of evidence that this is real. I'm not just making this up. So Trevor, you remember the case Trevor Martin? Yeah. And I don't recall. I recall some of what your reaction was, your answers to that particular. When I ask you, I think that was you. You're 19 now. You're probably about maybe 12 or 13 when that happened a few years ago. And I ask you, what would you do? And we still have that conversation. If someone encounters you, someone if you encounter someone, um, and they because you're black, they. They treat you a certain way. What would you do? That might be a little, you know, somewhat complicated for you to for us to get into right now. But what I want you to, what I also, what I would like to focus on, if I could narrow this down a little bit, is that your friends are all white. We've had this conversation, and I, I know that you don't want to see color. I don't want to put you in a position of being defensive. We want to be. We this show truth and reconciliation is to speak truth to power. And I mean, I know you, you know me, so I know most of your friends are white. I'm not just making this up. That's fine, yeah. Right, so, and I don't want to just say because your friends are white. They, 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 the, the point is not to talk about the, your friend's color or, they, or their you know, racial group and so on. But the reason why I bring that up all the time is that you have these you know, innocent attitude that, oh, you know, we're friends, we're cool, everything's fine. And I say to you that if you go to the neighborhood and something happens to you, would they stand up for you and say, well, Femi, oh, we've known Femi for years, that, that Femi would never do that. And what do you, what's your answer to that? I believe that they would. I want to believe that they would, as anyone would. And I, and I, I really want to believe that they would as well, that they'll stand up for you, but because what reason do they have not to? Well, we were just talking about racism. Why? But I. That's. If, but if someone knows you and you've grown up with someone and they're your close friend, then then you know what their habits are. You know their personality. You know, that's there's so many other factors that that can cancel out um, stereotypes and and thoughts. And at the end of the day, they might have a stereotype of, oh, maybe he did do that, but um, a genuine friendship or a genuine and uh, knowing someone, you know that um, it's up to you to make the right assumption of, of what you think happened or what you think this person did. And, and, and in a natural world, that should be that should be the right, you know, course of event. That should be that you have friends, they really trust you, they've known you for years, they stand up for you, they're like Femi would never do that. But as we know, Femi is real. This is this is the argument I have with you all the time. That I want you to be prepared that your friend 
your age, your generation. I mean, we, we, when we get to George Floyd in a minute, George Floyd's murder is testament that this country is ready for change. Because people that have gone out to protest, your generation, mostly a lot of white people, and it's testament that people want change. That people, you know, or friends, and if they're friends, so you know, black, they don't really see color. They, you know, that protest up to date is testament to that. And I and I and I know that your generation is is ready, and I hope that that you your generation would effect this change that we are talking about. But institutionalized racism is deeper than that of it's in the system it's not that's something that you and i cannot just construct alone i'll bring other experts historians and friends and so on to this show to kind of like get that into that and try to really break that down but i always want you to realize that your friends might just be as good as you are because that like you say you pick them because you have a lot in common with them and i believe that they're good people but if something happens where they now have to, they have to act, they're forced to act in, in concert with other factors, not just you be their friend doing something. For instance, uh, you were going to their house, uh, uh, you in their neighborhood, their home, and something happened on the street. And before your friend even gets to see whatever happened, the neighbors have done X, Y, Z, and just kind of painting whatever scenario can happen. So their decision at that point will be influenced by their community, by their family members and whatever. And their family member might be racist. Their community might be racist. So, and that's a dangerous context that, I mean context rather, that we always want to be cognizant of. Why I always talk to you about these things, that it's not just about you and your friend. It's about you, your friend, and other contexts. That something happens, then they don't, they can't stand up for you because, you know. Do you, do you? I mean, do you understand that 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 is the possibility that? Of course, there's going to be other factors, and my friends can only be as genuine and and as honest in any situation as they possibly can. But um, the system is always going to be run by people that have that are older and that have that have. Um, been subject to this before and and know how things work and they're always going to try and manipulate um, you into getting the response that they want and I really think that my my generation is is not uh, is just I feel like age is just a, a an important factor of this because um, the people that are mostly killing people in the street or the people that are, are, are being like blatantly racist towards people are people that have grown up that way and that um, teach their children to grow up that way. And if that generation is not, is no longer active because uh, people grow old obviously and over time things change. Um, in general and I just feel like if we can push that ideology out of the system of America by um, fighting for what we can then uh, and even if we even if we can't we're doing 
so much now that the people that are being raised by these uh, racist people or people that are being raised by people that think that way, they're seeing these things on the news. They know what's happening because we're making such, because our voice is so big right now that even though those people are growing up in a household where the parents might be racist, they're automatically um, exposed to a new way of thinking because of the internet, because of um, media, because of uh, the friends that they might have. Uh, America is, is no, longer, um, no longer segregated uh, this much to the extent where you can completely close someone off and raise them your 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 way and i feel like because of that um this is a perfect time for us to uh really um talk about this and 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 raise awareness and i feel like over time people are going to think different ways and our generation is going to think differently because we're all we're all one we're all seeing each other online we're all seeing each other in the news and um really bring light to this and the people that that want to think that way can still think that way and there's always going to be people that are racist and people that are people that discriminate but this is really the time for change and i feel like um yeah different generations have different ways of going about things different uh we have new resources now we have new ways of 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 spreading news and and, and sharing things and i feel like um, this is the time that something's going to change. Well said. You're listening to Truth and Reconciliation with Buki Shinoga. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Truth and Reconciliation with Bookie Shinoga. My very first guest on this show is my son, Femi Shinoga Fleming. And we're talking about raising a colorblind young black male in America. So Femi, can you, let's talk a bit about how you feel you're different because you're raised by an African parent. First off, you mean you're first generation American, so Let's just put that out there that you, you know, I came here as an immigrant about 40 years ago and you were born here. So you're a first generation American. Having been raised by an African parent, how, how does that impact your identity? How do you define yourself in that, in that frame? When talking about this, uh, I would like to bring up the, the, the stereotype of, of, um, uh, like a angry black man or an angry black woman. Um, I want to bring that up because as an immigrant coming to America, you haven't been coming from Nigeria. You haven't been subject to um, a history of racism and a history of being in a country where racism has impacted you and um, where uh systemic racism and and the system is ha, has impacted you and um it often boils down to people that have been uh pushed around in the system to uh 
be in a very narrow path where they can't really they can't get anywhere they're not they're not being put in schools with other white kids they're not being put in in the right um, education system and that's because of so many things and so many factors that um, have just been a part of uh, America's system and have prevented them from doing this and this has been the case with them and their parents and their parents parents and uh, a long history and I feel like all of that boils down to um, anger being passed down in the family, just anger and, and, and not being able to get somewhere, the feeling of, of being stuck and that feeling, um, it, may not, um, it may not seem like it translates, but over time, because uh, you've always been stuck in this sort of like loop because of America's system, that feeling is going to translate to anger and that feeling is going to pass on as you have children and as you raise the children in the same system that your parents raise their children in and you're stuck and you're stuck and i just feel like that boils down to oh like why are you so hostile why are you so angry and and when a white person tells you that they haven't been through any of the things you've been through they haven't um had that family uh have that family line passed down, that family anger passed down, and um, so obviously they're doing fine, their parents did fine, their parents' parents did fine, so they're like, oh, why, why are you so hostile, why are you so angry, why, why are you so, why are you violently protesting, why, what are you doing, like, just relax, and um, that's why they feel like black people are just angry all the time, and um, being the first born American, I haven't, uh, I haven't really experienced any of that anger because I've, because you in Nigeria, you, you haven't, um, you haven't experienced any of it. So, uh, passing on, uh, sort of that innocence to me and just like, um, taking on the world from a brand new lens. Uh, taking on America from a brand new lens, I have, I'm very observant, and I haven't uh, necessarily experienced too much yet, and with that, I can shape the way that I respond to certain uh, instances, uh, respond to news, respond to things that I see. I'm seeing all of that with a new lens. I'm not seeing that through... Um, first-hand experience? Yeah, through first-hand experience for... Like, for instance, if you were a black parent, uh, an African-American parent in, in America, and your parents were African-American, um, when you raise me, you know that this has been happening. You know that your parents may have gone through this, and um, you may have relatives that have been through the prison system or through uh, bad education. And um, one raising me, you're going to have all of this angst and have all this anger, and that's obviously going to... Or just maybe experience it. Or right? just, or, yeah, or f experience it firsthand, and that's going to... I'm going to see that, I'm going to experience that, and that's going to translate through me, and then you get stuck in the cycle again. So it's really... Um, for me, it's really important to me, and it's really special to... Uh, not to say that that uh, Africans raise their children better <laughs> or not, but it's it's important to me that uh, I have that African heritage and that I am the first American because I can shape, uh, I can uh, 
like fine-tune my perspective of America and fine-tune my perspective of the things that happen, the system, the way to work around the system, and um, really educate myself over the years so that I know when I'm raising my children how to raise them, how to raise them uh, in a way that doesn't damage the way they look at the world or damage the way that they interact with people around them. And um, I would know uh, when when they're in school and then someone asks them, oh, like, why do you why do you act white? Why are you saying these things? And why are you hanging out with these people? So that they know how to react to those situations and they can educate others. And with that process, um, you can raise a better America in a sense, in a way. Right, and I, I truly agree with you. But 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 the unfortunate thing, somewhat, is that as much as you have a sort of an innocent upbringing in a way that you have not been exposed to some of these, you know, uh, you know, systemic racism as you just you know alluded to, you would hope you're thinking that oh, okay, so you just grow up and you get a job, you start a life, and you just not experience it, and that's not the case. Of I've shielded you as your parent, but when you step into the real world and you start to interact and you start to get a job, you start to, that's when you begin to feel the knee on my neck. That's they feel the knee on our neck in case of Judge Floyd. That's when you begin to see, and that's why I've always made sure that I, I educate you, I open your eyes to that. It is my duty as a parent because you, you, if I didn't point it out to you, when you see, you wouldn't even recognize it. Like you just said, because you were raised so somewhat differently, and uh, but it's real. And when you start the real job in the real world, is when you realize that. Of course. And, and you can, we can come back and talk about your education. That, that's another. That's another. Another episode. I want to do a second part of this interview with you, and I'm sure there will be other interviews that I will do with you later on. But your education that got us where we are now is also intentional. We have encountered you know racism in the education system we have encountered you know being treated differently because we behave differently in the, you know since you were born so you're aware of this and that's something we, we also need to share and share some light on that arriving where you are today with your education going to uh, um RISD. RISD, it's not by accident it's calculative it's all done intentionally with focus and so much hard work to get you here and it shouldn't have to be that hard but because also I'm an, because I'm an immigrant I come from a different system so I recognize the difference between my system and this system so when you're going through school I began to see those differences that would impact your your mental health, your physical well-being, everything in the education system, and I had to take deliberate actions and steps and time out of my own comfort zone as your parent to make sure that you get the education that you deserve, and that was an uphill battle. And that takes a lot of work. And you know, I mean, we we were in it together, and you know, you know how we got here. Um, coming through all those different situations again with Trevor Martin, I keep going back to Trevor Martin because I, I by the time Trevor Martin w was murdered, I knew that you were, you know, you, you got it. At that time, you were old enough to really get it. Like, that could have been you 
President Obama was actually, you know, the president at that time, and he had said that that could have been his son. Anyway, so I made reference to that because I thought at that age, when you were like 14 or 15, you, you can relate because you could be a young man walking home and that happened to you. So coming through all of that, now let's fast forward, Judge Floyd. What, what is your, your, your perspective, your, your reaction to, about Judge Floyd's murder? What, what first thing that hit you, what, what was it? This is not. This is not to say that um, that I've seen it before. Or that it's the same as uh, uh, all the other cases, such as um, uh, um, Central Park Five, etc., and just, just uh, black men dying in the street. But it is the the um, the straw that like broke the camel's back. It is the thing that. Um, uh, forces us to really uh see that we need change because um of course it's it's because of uh where we are right now it's the coronavirus it's the pandemic we're all stuck inside and we all we all see what's on the news and and even if we wanted to keep it in uh this instant this incident this 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 uh tragedy that happened um really forces us to to do something because this is the time that we're all um we're all inside we have no excuses we have no job to go to the next day this is the time that we need to really focus on what's happening in america and and change and when i saw it happen um but describe what you saw every we've all seen that video what 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 does that do to you i want to put you put it i want you to put in your own words when you saw, I don't want to. I don't even want to reenact the scene for you. You saw it. We tell us exactly what you saw and what 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 is your take on what you saw as as a young black man in this country. Well, anytime I see on the news that someone dies, my immediate reaction is, why is this? Um, why is this continuing to happen? Why is it that um, this always happens? It happens all the time. Like, why is it continuing to happen? Um, when I saw this on the news and I saw the police officer with his knee on uh, a black man's neck in the middle of the street um, on the side on, on the, the sidewalk, on the, sidewalk on, the, on the concrete it it evokes anger in me but it it mainly um, evokes confusion as to why we're continuing to just let this happen like why is no one violently protesting against all of these events that have happened and um of course when i saw it initially um i would think that um like this should go away this is um this is going to be that this is going to be one of those things where uh a black man died they're going to report about it on the news uh people will um share it on social media and then in a week or so it'll it'll pass by it'll just go away uh but it hasn't and that that really says something about about this particular incident this particular incident really um really hit people hard and 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 it hurts it hurts every time it happens but it, it hurts particularly here.
and I feel like we needed we don't we didn't need it but it, it we needed something that would force us to to really do something so right thank you Femi and I would I because again because you're 19 because you've been somewhat insulated the the visceral reaction or immediate impact of watching a video like that I understand that you you, you get it and it makes you angry but if you are growing up in the inner city of New York City of New York City where you've been oppressed and you've been subjected to these I'm I'm thinking that your reaction not your reaction your feeling might be somewhat different because you can really feel that pain on your neck and as your parent because I have gone through this system with all the struggles that got us here you and I getting you the best education possible and understanding this system a lot more than you do I've been here 40 years now I feel that pain I feel and I'm also coming from that culture I also feel that, and I've said this before, that that would not happen anywhere in Africa. Not even South Africa. When you have a man, first off, you don't, to get a guy, George Floyd, that's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, tall, to get him to totally surrender, there is something in this system that's totally disempowered black men to the point where someone of that height with his power had to surrender to this system. It's a power dynamic. The system, the system wants to have power over everyone, and if they see a large black man uh, getting away with something, there's no way they're gonna let it happen because no matter their height, no matter if they're like five foot and there's a giant seven feet black man, they're gonna do whatever they can to take that man down because they don't want to see that man thrive. In America, right? So, so the reality, reality is that again, because of these psychological, you know, suppression in the system, the systemic racism that's being sort of indoctrinated into people's lives and minds and lifestyle and the system in general, that all of that added up to George Floyd surrendering. I'm saying in the African context, on the continent, in Nigeria, where I come from, for instance, the police do not have that much power. A man of that height would not surrender to a police to the point where it's on the concrete. People would not stand around George Floyd and the police officers watching that happen. There's just something about, about, about that particular scene that's so cruel and so, so and painful and, and, and just unbearable because it's always the police that are doing this to black people black people are are are, you want to raise your child not to be afraid of the police but because they see this they automatically they stand back they take their phones out and they record it so that uh justice can be served but um they're always afraid to just go in there and and why not why hasn't someone gone in there and ripped the police officer off this man so that they don't kill him why didn't another police officer rip the man off um, so that they don't kill him? But there's always a, a, a stand and watch, a stand and record attitude to a lot of the things that are happening. And because I think that um, we're inside, we're all on social media, and 
we're either outside and we're all outside if we're all outside then no one needs to record anything because everyone's there in person and they should do something when something else like this happens they shouldn't just take out their phones record it and then the man dies and then the police officers get get arrested they need to act in the situation all the time it should have been the case all the time to ensure that this doesn't happen and um if someone's being murdered, your first instinct is to, to call the police. But if the police are the ones doing the murdering, then, then you're call? stuck. You're stuck. There's yeah. nothing. There's nothing to do. And um, in that case, you need to uh, be the police uh, in a way. But obviously, everyone's different. Not everyone can can just fight a police officer. Right. But um, yeah. And what got us to Judge Floyd did not happen. You know, it, that's 400 years of slavery that led us to how we, how George Floyd wound up on the concrete. It wasn't just something that happened that day. Of course. So thank you so much, Femi, for, for speaking with me. And uh, we'll come back and uh, talk about your education and uh, how we got here. And, um, you know, thank you. So um, this has been Truth and Reconciliation with Buki Shonuga. This show is meant to provoke, probably infuriate, but not to hate. Uh, so we'll see you next time. Until then, thank you. Thank you. Bye bye for having me.